Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today has had numerous senior positions to include president, CEO, COO and managing director of a number of philanthropic organisations. He has pretty much worked in this space throughout his career and one can almost describe it as a calling. He's at the heart of human rights management and the work he and his organisation are currently doing, quite frankly, is humbling. We're going to go on a journey today here at Heads Talk. It may be an uncomfortable one, but one we must take nevertheless to gain the kind of insights my guests will deliver today. You'll find out what I'm talking about right after our sponsors' messages. PrivCap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform facilitating access to investment insights, resources and capital for its members. It runs senior-level forums on private equity, venture capital and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up-and-coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring. For details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Epaminondas Pharmacus is the founder and CEO of Human Rights 360, a worldwide organisation dedicated to protecting the individual, political and social rights of people. He has over 20 years experience in civil society, having managed more than 1.1 billion euros to more than 1,300 non-profit organisations in over 100 countries across the globe. Epaminondas introduces new and high impact programs into its philanthropic work and oversees the innovation needed in this sector. With his nonprofit management expertise, foundation development nows, and seasoned fundraising skills, we here at Headstalk are eager to hear his thoughts on many of the topics that will be raised today. His previous positions include, but were not limited to, Managing Director of Solidarity Now, created by the Open Society Foundation, President and CEO of the Philanthropic Advisor Unit, Elpis SA, Elpis meaning hope in Greek, COO of Stavros Niakos Foundation, and part of the Global Wealth Management Team at Merrill Lynch. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Epaminondas to Headstalk. Delighted to have you here today. I'm delighted to join. Thank you very much for the most kind introduction. Thank you again. Okay, um, the best way to start our conversation is for you to enlighten my listeners on your organization. Please provide us with a, an introduction of Human Rights 360. So how was it started? What do you do? What are your current projects? And how can individuals get involved? Well, uh, thank you, yes. We started it uh, uh, approximately four years ago. Uh, as an NGO based in Greece, and uh, together with my colleagues uh, Rania Papadopoulou and Eleni Taku, we had seen uh, the need of uh, moving into a direction of more integration and protecting human rights, as you suggested also in the introduction. Mm-hmm. And we didn't see really um, uh, structural funding. Uh, working towards these areas. So we thought we would introduce something that would uh, try to attract funding uh, for those areas much in need. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, how can pe- individuals get involved in, in this? 
Well, we, we, we do have a, a full-time uh, uh, staff of 25, but obviously uh, there are many needs and, and we welcome uh, and invite individuals um, uh, to join us um, as volunteers or uh, advisors or consultants, mm -hmm. uh, uh, depending on the topic at hand. Mm -hmm. um, so through, through our website, <clears throat> Uh, they can send us um, uh, information and we'll be happy to bring them on board. For example, um, uh, we provide, um, as you know, um, legal aid and social support. So um, individuals in, the, in those areas, for example, lawyers, social workers, uh, psychologists are, are most welcome to um, uh, send us uh, more information to see where they can fit. Okay, and, and we will put a link to your organization in the episode description once we've completed this episode. So um, listeners, look out for that. Okay, um, naturally, when I have a guest on Heads Talk, um, I, do, I do a fair bit of research into them and the work they're currently doing. I was fascinated with one branch of the work, um, um, partly because I didn't know such things were happening. And I found the story that I read so harrowing, so gripping, um, and I read more and more in order to find out the final outcome. This was about the plight of a Syrian refugee, um, now German citizen named Fadi. The story was an article by The, the Intercept called um, I Didn't Exist. Effectively, he was secretly removed from his country where he had obtained legal residence, Germany, and had to endure a three-year process to get back to Germany from Turkey, I believe. Um, no, once again, he was a legal German citizen. Please tell my listeners about enforced disappearance, which is the terminology to describe this situation. What is it? What is the frequency of this? And what does your organization do in this space? Yes, it's very important. <clears throat> Thank you for raising that issue. Um, that, that story is very, uh, very correct and very true, and, but it's one of many stories, uh, real stories happening on the ground. Mm -hmm. uh, so, as, as you say, enforced disappearance or illegal pushbacks, as, as sometimes they are called, mm -hmm. uh, they are practiced regretfully by governments all over Europe, and especially in the Balkans area, but also by Spain and other countries. And it has become, unfortunately, a, a, a norm uh, during the recent years, especially since 2016, that we mm -hmm. had the large numbers of uh, refugees flowing in. Uh, and uh, it's very unfortunate because it's really uh, governments themselves are breaking the rule of law. Um, it used to happen, um, there is a misconception that uh, this, this would happen uh, near a country's borders, not that it would be legal, but uh, this is the, the misconception in the public that uh, somebody is just crossing over a border and is immediately uh, pushed back, but not anymore. And the story that you highlight is really one of the most awful stories in, in this regard. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, especially in Greece, that we follow with um, other uh, partnering organizations, this this phenomenon, it mm -hmm. can happen uh, well uh, well inside the Greece, uh, either from the land border that we are present and following or with um, the sea borders that uh, there are crossings from Turkey. Mm. All right. Okay. Um, it, it was a pretty shocking read, and uh, I found it was a, a bit of an eye-opener. So 
So thank you for elaborating on that for us. Um, let's move on. Let's have a, a couple um, COVID related questions. Let's look at some of the challenges faced um, as a result of the pandemic. I'm very curious about the next question. It's all about um, what can be described as refugee fatigue. Um, would you say that people, the public have refugee fatigue and perhaps are prioritizing themselves and the people closest to them, especially during the pandemic? If that is the case, how do you rejuvenate interest in these times when all eyes are looking at the problems they themselves are facing during the pandemic? Um, and is there a, a PR effort now required in this space? Oh, absolutely, Elaine. Yes, I think you're very correct uh, in that. And, and up to a degree, it is also normal for uh, all of us to be individually uh, mm -hmm. concerned on the pandemic. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, uh, one thing that the pandemic has uh, made sure is that it doesn't make any uh, discriminations uh, okay. in terms of uh, what social or economic class one is. It, it really affects everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I think um, the important and challenging thing for us is, is to stress that and, and to ask for equality in, in, in all groups uh, facing uh, the pandemic. For example, um, the vaccination process in, in Greece is quite slow, as, as is everywhere else, I, I guess, uh, except a few cases. Uh, but it still doesn't cover uh, vulnerable populations like refugees, homeless, HIV patients, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and uh, this is very unfortunate. Um, as as you may have seen as well, over 100 countries now, according to the WHO, have not even received any doses of mm. uh, vaccines. So um, while it is uh, there is a lot of fatigue, especially on refugee issues, because uh, for more than five or six years. Uh, um, you know, reporting on, on refugee uh, and migration uh, challenges has been on the forefront. So understandably, the public is tired, especially mm -hmm. with all the terminology uh, used and, and, and all the stories coming out. Um, as we see now, for example, in the United States, what is happening at the USA-Mexico border. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it is important, as you say, uh, that PR efforts are concentrated on the humanity of, the, of this um, aspect and, and stress uh, the need for um, immediate attention to vulnerable groups such as them. Mm -hmm. Okay. But what about the way that you work within your organization? Um, has COVID changed your approach to fundraising? Um, if yes, will, will there be elements of this approach continuing after the pandemic? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are many challenges for us everywhere. For example, uh, <clears throat> when we run our programs uh, with uh, beneficiaries, as, as we call them, the, the, let's say the, the people associated with our programs, Mm -hmm. It has been very difficult for a year now to have physical in-person meetings mm -hmm. um, because of the pandemic and, and because of lockdown restrictions and people are isolated and restricted to, into their camps. So uh, for some periods of time, we were not, not allowed to visit with them. Mm -hmm. And as you know, <clears throat> living in a camp, uh, you have no Wi-Fi. Yeah. 
and really no technological equipment to make um, remote distance, uh, you know, a possibility uh, in in terms of meetings or schooling. Uh, you know, all all the all the children in Greece <clears throat> are doing remote uh, schooling, except for the refugee children, of course, mm -hmm. uh, which is very unfortunate, uh, especially for the children. So there are many challenges for us internally as well. Um, in terms of uh, the health and safety of our staff, mm. uh, in terms of as you as you mentioned, a lot of our uh, uh, donors or potential donors are now very reasonably, uh, I think, uh, focusing in their own communities, mm. in the local communities, because the pandemic has been a huge um, uh, factor everywhere, including in the U.S. Uh, and and in Europe. So. We do have to redesign uh, our fundraising uh, strategies, and we have, and we do have to understand that um, uh, travel and, and um, you know physical meetings might not be happening uh, yes. for a long time uh, yet. So we do have to make a lot of adjustments, and we have as much as possible. So, so I'm assuming your adjustments or your, your plan B, as I would uh, call it, would be digitalization using of digital means to get your messages across surely yes exactly and that that uh, i think which is is not necessarily a negative uh, thing coming out of the pandemic and i think it will remain with us uh, for the years to come i don't think we will go back to the old way and as you know the ngos are really not not so much digital because they are very human centric but yes. uh, I think they they have to, and 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 we are adjusting in in that effect. So, for example, we had to use technology for staff meetings that we didn't uh, have any idea of how to use them before, because mm -hmm. we would always meet in person, and 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 many such examples. Uh, uh, so uh, yes, we are adjusting, and 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 again, it's not necessarily everything is negative uh, with this adjustment. Yeah. So, yes. Yes, and, and also um, what I found with talking to um, a, a few guests when they had to sort of change their strategies, especially with events, because um, you yourself, uh, though I didn't mention it in the introduction, you, you were pretty savvy and specialised in event management. They've had to um, make a hybrid event. Some will be physical and some will be digital. And the positives of the hybrid is that they can reach a greater number. So that's something I assume you're looking to in your organization where you have events, there's a finite number that physically attend there before, but now with the digital offering and the, the hybrid offering, uh, the, the numbers are almost infinite in, in terms of what you can reach and, and, and how you can get your message across. So as you say, there are some silver linings to this pandemic situation, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to be um, utilizing that to the to the most you possibly can yes absolutely we used to have uh, as you very well suggest uh, uh, in-person exhibitions for example on, on far-right violence and and, and mm -hmm. other such uh, xenophobic rhetoric mm -hmm. and this was a traveling exhibition around greece and actually as as the pandemic was uh, hitting europe we, we were scheduled to to go to present such an exhibition in Brussels uh, at the European Parliament and also afterwards in Berlin and, and these are, are for the moment cancelled. But yes, we, we did uh, put together uh, a virtual tour of the exhibition. We use uh, different uh, you know techniques to stream events mm -hmm. uh, and, and broadcast them. Uh, yes, so we are adjusting and I think 
this combination that you very well suggest, the hybrid combination, will remain for us uh, long after the it's pandemic because we have seen the benefits of it. But uh, on the other hand, uh, it's also nothing really exclude um, the in-person uh, yes. visits yes. 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 And, and, and this contact that we were having with, uh, 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 you know, with stakeholders and other people interested to find out about uh, our work. Yes, yes, I agree. While we may have the digital offering, it cannot completely take over the personal, social, face-to-face -face that we all are used to prior to the pandemic. Okay, let's look at um, how you work with organisations that you interact with, and you talked about some of them, but in particular, let's look at the media outlets, um, newspapers and broadcasters. Um, what is your organisation's relationship with them? And what is the sector general relationship with them? Is it collaborative, healthy? Um, and what are the challenges? And what would you see as an, an optimal and jointly beneficial working relationship going forward? Yes, it's very positive. And we, and we try to engage the media uh, as much as possible. For example, we were featured um, recently in the Financial Times, in The Guardian and other international media. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, the, the local and national Greek media is very important to us. Um, again, I think uh, the main challenge for us there is to overcome the fatigue, uh, the fatigue uh, in, into, mm -hmm. the, into the public on these issues, mm -hmm. and also overcome uh, many technicalities used to describe uh, the issues that we are uh, working on. Mm -hmm. So we try to be... Uh, supportive, let's say, of uh, uh, a, a more simple language, uh, trying to describe how everything is, is affecting local communities, uh, uh, all people involved, and um, how we all together should try to find solutions. Mm -hmm. Now, it is especially challenging to work with uh, media partners and media colleagues through the pandemic, because understandably, there is a great focus on the pandemic. Yes, on, yes. On, yes on the side of the media and different uh, general topics uh, on vaccinations, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, it's really difficult to have the interest of um, the media at this point. But nevertheless, um, and the article that you mentioned with um, uh, the Syrian refugee uh, mm -hmm. uh, is is a good example that when there is. A, uh, a strong uh, quality case to be reported. I yes. think that the media would, would be interested um, yeah. on it. And we try to, to showcase or produce this, um, let's say cases that would uh, be interesting to them. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, okay. Um, but staying with um, the collaboration theme, what sectoral groups um, could be doing more um, with helping you in this space? Perhaps, um, they have not realized how they could aid your organizations like yours. And how are you communicating the need to have them working with you? Well, that's very true. And, and I think in the past, a lot of NGOs uh, have, have not, uh, have, have protected, let's say, uh, their own turf, let's say, mm -hmm. and have not reached out to collaborations mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons. And, and, and we are quite the opposite. We invite uh, collaborations in many areas and areas also and industries that would not be um, so familiar, let's say, with our work. 
So to give you an example, we, we have been able also to raise funding uh, during the pandemic and, and re-grant it, give it to other NGOs. Um, it's more than 30 now, I guess, NGOs, uh, where we think that they would be best utilized during the pandemic and they cater other groups that we don't have really the expertise and the experience. Mm -hmm. But really reaching out to other industries, for example, uh, the financial industry, would be the marketing industry, for example, and other such industries that are not obvious partners to NGOs yeah. uh, is very critical to us and, and would be very supportive in our work. I can't say that we have really managed to, especially now during the pandemic, to showcase uh, the needs and the benefits of such uh, collaboration, but we, we always try to, to reach out to different industries that could be helpful and it could be also, uh, I think, interesting and challenging for them to dedicate some resources, either through their pro bono work or other mm -hmm. opportunities that they have mm -hmm. uh, to assist in these projects. Okay, okay, so it's, it's watch this space. Um, mm -hmm. the, the next set of questions um, is on a very current topic, sustainability and everything around it. Um, with the move to a greener energy source and renewables, and the slow decline um, of the, the fossil fuel based energy supply. What do you think will be the, the impact on the work you're doing? Is this shift advantageous to you, for you? Um, will this be destabilizing in the short term? And um, will this help with your human rights objectives in the long term? It would for sure, I think. Uh, and we are very supportive. I mean, um, we have to remember that climate change is one of the main driving factors for migration today, and it will be a great challenge in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have been focusing on this issue a lot. We work with partners like uh, Greenpeace, um, and we, um, we have sustainability solutions, bo both uh, financially speaking and both, and of course, environmentally. And mm -hmm. we just released actually last Tuesday, um, uh, uh, a proposal to the Greek government together with another 70 um, NGOs uh, making proposals of how the recovery uh, financial aid package that is being distributed by the European Union into different uh, areas and, and, and of course all the member states can be utilized towards a more uh, green economy. Uh, which is vital for us. Environmental uh, rights are human rights anyway, so anything that uh, can support uh, uh, the environment can surely support uh, human rights in general. Mm -hmm. I have to make a comment that uh, although governments in the EU <clears throat> and also big uh, international organizations, donors, for example, the United Nations uh, and, and another what, the biggest donors, including the EU Commission, do not place any focus for the moment, at least, on, on environmental concerns. So, for example, when there is a proposal by an NGO to uh, reconstruct the camp or an area where uh, uh, people and especially children are accommodated, there isn't really this, this interest on, on making everything more uh, environmentally sustainable because oh. they, they, they think that there is, um, uh, that would increase the budget. And of course, it, it, may, it may increase it 
uh, in the short term, but of course the long the longer term benefits are are are, are real, and and we should uh, pursue them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting that in in this answer you, you said environmental rights are human rights, and at the same time you said well this the environmental rights isn't a factor in very certain decisions and um, it was pretty much my next question so i i, I won't ask it because you, you've just provided the, the example that's needed in terms of um trade-offs um in in that space so 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 thank you for that i'll move straight on if i may um into the next question um which is a, a different topic um when we talk about human rights um there, there is a sense of um it being a faraway problem. And here in the West, we have um, a healthy measure of it. And there are some balances and freedoms in this space. The aim of your organization um, is to, and I quote, put together greater alliances in Greece and internationally to work in order to build vibrant and tolerant societies whose governments and societies reject far-right rhetoric, extremism, racism, and xenophobia, while being accountable to and encouraging participation of the people. However, in recent years, and with the rise of populist parties on the right, or the right fringes of the political spectrum, for example, um, Germany AFD, Liga Nord in Italy, um, Viktor Orban, uh, the Prime Minister of Hungary, um, who said to govern in a very auto autocratic way, you've got your work cut out for you, haven't you? Do you feel there is a trend that would erode the heart-fought human rights across the Western world? And perhaps you'll see more and more compromises in Europe when it comes to such rights, are you fighting a losing battle? I, I hope not, <clears throat> for the sake of um, you know our children and the next generation. Because as as you suggest and you very correctly describe, these issues have been uh, let's say boiling uh, in Europe and other countries, as mm -hmm. we have seen most recently in the U.S. as well, mm -hmm. for many many years. They didn't just yes. happen, and and we have to recognize that. We are up against a very, uh, let's say, uh, capable network involving millions of, uh, uh, let's say, people uh, getting uh, information through uh, Facebook, YouTube, and other social media. Mm -hmm. uh, and th there is a lot of uh, local uh, and international collaborations in that front. And we haven't really managed <clears throat> worldwide to build the equivalent network to, uh, let's say, defend against fake news and other xenophobic rhetoric. Yes, yes, yes. yes. absolutely. And, and, and don't forget also that this is a, a multi-million industry, uh, mm -hmm. the, the far-right networks that we are up against. And, and, and we are scattered uh, uh, into small groups with uh, smaller budgets all over the world. So it's not an even battle, but it's a battle that uh, has to be fought for the future. For example, in Greece, we have been fighting uh, not only ourselves, uh, but a lot of uh, activists and organizations, a seven-year battle against uh, a network called uh, Golden Dawn. And uh, recently, last October, um, uh, there was uh, the end of a multi-year, let's say, trial that uh, saw uh, all of its members, uh, 69 of them, uh, convicted uh, uh, for major crimes. Uh, these were neo-Nazis uh, terrorizing, murdering people uh, in Greece. And uh, it, it is because of the civil society that they were brought to justice. Um, so there, there are... Uh, 
positive examples like that one. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, we have a really long way to go, as you, as you suggest, uh, globally uh, to fight that. And, and, and if I make, can make a, one last comment on that, mm -hmm. we, we, we haven't really been able, and uh, governments, political parties, municipalities, stakeholders, we haven't really looked at the root causes of uh, these movements, let's say, these fastest, fastest movements across the globe. Uh, Mm -hmm. And there, there are opportunities there uh, to correct mistakes or to um, uh, provide, you know, additional uh, safety and services to local communities that uh, that feel that they have been left out or or are in, mm -hmm. in fear of the future. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where I think we have to be a lot more supportive. Mm. Okay, but so surely they are. Uh, one to a few papers on, on suggestions on what could be the causes of these. There must be some white papers on that. Oh, there are, yes. I mean, they're, they're very important studies, uh, mm -hmm. both locally and internationally, for sure. But they're not but, uniform in terms of their conclusions, right? I am assuming. Absolutely, yes. Your assumption is very correct. And, and, and but, but also, I'm afraid political parties and government, uh, wherever they're coming from, uh, are concerned about these issues in the pre-election cycle, but oh. not really once they are elected. Uh, we don't see these policies implemented uh, based on the suggestions provided. Okay, okay. Um, I did say I was gonna pass the question, but if I may, can I, there's, I would like to go back to the trade-off questions. Um, may I ask that? Oh, please. Yeah. I, I really liked it's more sort of in your daily work as opposed to sort of generally you spoke generally but I, i'm going to sort of narrow it down to specifically to the your organization and the work that you're doing and so, so what are the trade-offs you're facing in your daily work and um, how are you balancing human rights with making progress in other areas uh, eg sustainability which you talked about can you provide us with a taste of some of these trade-offs and challenging decisions you have to make probably because the immediate need outweighs the long-term issues. We do, yes, we do. And it, and it's, um, it happens daily, as you suggest, mm -hmm. some, some days more than others, but of course it, 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 it affects us. I mean, our principle uh, generally is a, a do no harm policy. I mean, mm -hmm. when, when you are catering to vulnerable uh, groups, mm -hmm. uh, they already have suffered a lot, I mean, depending on their situation. So your main principle is, is to do no further harm with uh, what you're trying to do to these uh, uh, groups and, and, and vulnerable uh, categories of people mm -hmm. that are affected. So to give you an example, yes, again, when we have a, a proposal that we, for example, that we are, and, and we just did that uh, a few months ago, we were uh, looking to uh, regrant uh, funding to NGOs that were accommodating unaccompanied minors, which means that were children with no parents in Greece. Um, they had to arrange uh, facilities uh, like small shelters or small uh, hotels, for example, or apartments. Uh, and, you know, there is a trade-off because <clears throat> when you are constructing something, you want to make it environmentally sustainable and, and which is uh, also financially sustainable so that yeah. you are not relying too much on electricity that you have other ways of uh, getting power for example solar etc and, and and a country like Greece is ideal for that mm 
-hmm. but we couldn't convince um, the donors, the funders in this case, or in other cases that this was worthwhile. I mean, uh, there is a trade-off because uh, somebody that is funding mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> an activity wants, uh, you know, very quickly results and very quickly to, to measure the impact of the grant, which is very logical and very normal. On the other hand, uh, we are not really building, uh, quote unquote, something that would be environmentally and financially sustainable for the future. And then when the funding runs out, we have to do it all over again. Yeah. Okay. Um, as a final question and, and looking forward, what are the hot topics and issues you are focusing on now? Please provide the top two and why are they your focus? Well, thank you for the for uh, the limitation because there are so many, obviously, and, and, and I would love to tackle a lot of more areas. Uh, but if, if I had to say the two, and and they are connected, I think is uh, number one would be integration. I mean, we we I think we are sending out the wrong message as as the European Union uh, continent, a uh, continent of um, you know five hundred plus million people. Uh, that we seem uh, to have difficulty to welcome or integrate um, uh, numbers that are really uh, very small, especially in the last couple of years coming to Europe. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the principle of uh, uh, border protection and, and deterrence um, is, is uh, now quite ahead. I mean, the Orban, as you said, rhetoric has taken over uh, this this EU policy, and, and we have to speak about more uh, about integration and welcoming people and mm -hmm. making making them useful to uh, our communities and and showing the solidarity that uh, the the face of solidarity that Europe should have mm -hmm. and not have um, uh, you know all these issues of people uh, drowning drowning or. Mm being killed, trying to cross over, et cetera, et cetera. That's the one. And, and integration, of course, involves employability, which is a very important factor for us. Uh, the right to work and the right to be, be legal, let's say, quote unquote, in, in a society with all the applicable documents. Mm -hmm. And that's very important for them um, uh, and for us. And the second is also a kind of feeds in the first one is the uh, what we talk a little bit about um, the far right rhetoric and, and xenophobia. It's very important to create um, a more positive narrative uh, and, and to uh, bring out the success stories of the many of thousands of uh, migrants and refugees uh, that have come over and have been successful and have contributed to local communities, especially now during COVID, as you are aware, uh, mm -hmm. we have a lot of uh, migrants supporting um, hospitals and, and local communities in many capacities. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's something that um, um, Europe actually needs. It's not something that is, um, uh, that is not a need. And, and on the other hand, we seem to uh, be overcome by all this negative narrative and the xenophobia created in many countries uh, around Europe. And I think uh, we should focus more on the positive side and, and, and try to answer and single out, let's say, fake news and uh, these fake narratives that are now circulating. 
he should drown out fake news. Um, I, I, I've seen, I've looked on your website and I've seen some of the work that you've done. I mean, with your, with your first top priority in terms of the integration, the employment and the settlement, I've seen some of the, the testimonies um, by many of the people settled and, and they talk positively about the work that you're doing. So that's, that's quite amazing. And that is quite humbling, as I, I mentioned in the introduction. So, uh, you know, yeah, Epaminondas Pharmacus, it's been a pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you. Thank you very much, Elaine. And, and thank you for having me today. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk Podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.